Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. All right, welcome back to another episode of Truth Seekers. Hit it, Jamie. You know what, Brie? We are talking about serious tonight. Are you down? I'm so fucking down. I am down like a dog. Oh, oh ooh, I see what you did there, girl. Let's just, let's just <laughs> jump right into it then. We're talking about serious tonight. I you know, serious is interesting. I know a few things about him. Talk, talk me through this, Brie. It's the brightest star in the sky, right? Absolutely. It's bright as hell. And it's not too far from us either, right? 8.6 light years from us. We could throw a rock and hit the next one. Oh my God, they're like our little cosmic neighbors. They are. Shining bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. That's definitely not. Diamonds are <laughs> girls. Best friend. <laughs> well, we got. Why do we always get sidetracked with little songs? I was going to be like, we got 30 seconds into that immediately. I know. Okay. It's a part of a constellation. What constellation is it a part of? Canis Major. Is that the dog star? It's the doogie dog star. <laughs> it's the Snoop Dogg star. Snoop Dogg. It is the. It is definitely. I think the problem is that we don't get to talk or see each other enough. I know. It comes out. Yeah, I'm not able to unleash (laughs) the energy during (laughs) the beast. You know what? I will be there in like literally 40 days. So yeah, Sirius is known as the dog star. It is... It radiates 26 times as much energy of our sun, and it is 25 times brighter. But isn't Sirius not the only star in that star system? Right, but I I think most of us just think of Sirius, that big-ass bright one. But there is Sirius B, which is the first ever white dwarf star to be discovered. And it's the closest one to Earth. So the white dwarf is technically orbiting big Sirius. Yeah, Sirius A. Yep. And it's a little bit smaller than Earth, and it's incredibly dense. It's a heavy babe. And super bright as well, right? Ancient astronaut theorists say yes. (laughs) That is right, Bill Nye the Science Guy. And... Their orbit is like 50 years, right? Like they only, it passes around it every 50 years. Yes, it's about a 50-year orbit that it makes. And Sirius has been detected in many ancient cultures and mythology all the way back to Neolithic times. But Sirius B wasn't technically discovered or named until the 1970s. Uh, If I remember correctly, it's because Sirius A is so bright that it was hard to see the brightness of Sirius B. And the only reason they figured out it was even there was because of the slight wobble that they observed through their telescopes when looking at it. Yes, it's incredibly, it's way too small to see with the naked eye. And so this Sirius, the dog star, oddly enough, has great importance in esoteric teachings, mystery schools, and the occult. And it possibly has an ancient alien connection between us and the Sirius star system. You know... We're we're running with the themes of connections lately, and we're I think we're gonna get into some more of these connections here with Sirius. It's gonna start to put its little fingers out into all the other different universes. I agree, which is why 
we agreed that we wanted to do a two-part episode because we don't want to miss anything. Like you said, it's just, it's kind of spinning its web and the tentacles go out and touch all these different places. And we're about to touch those places too. We're getting touchy-feely. Ooh, are we talking like alien with the red bush kind of touchy-feely? Exactly. We're getting real close and personal and intimate. Are you telling me titty acid milk? Oh, definitely. Lots of titty acid. Is it going to be in my hot portal? In your hot pocket. (laughs) Oh, that was great. All right, Brie, we're going on another cosmic journey. Where are we starting this time? We're going all the way to Mali, West Africa. In Mali resides the Dogon tribe. I think that this is extremely fascinating and I would love for us to get into all the nicks and crannies and then come to our own conclusion about this. All right, I'm in. The tribe has been able to maintain their culture, traditions, and just their overall way of life. So they're they're one of the remaining tribes that are able to do this, to hold on to that. Their legends go back to 3200 BC, and they are said to be descendants of ancient Egyptians. The first researchers to study the Dogon tribe were French anthropologists Marcel Grayel and Damien Detterlin in 1931. They were the ones that were able to bring this information and the legends of the Dogon to light. The Dogon people kept a very, very tight lid on their culture and traditions. Every little bit of knowledge that was told was only done by initiation. So there's even people in the tribe that aren't able to know all of this information. It's, it's almost like you have to, to reach a certain rank, prove your worthiness, and over time you're able to gain this sacred knowledge. So we're talking like levels on levels on levels. Like you got like, you know, like level one, level two, and then we got like, you know, like mastery level 33, like very Freemasonry kind of style. Exactly. Exactly. So Marcel spent from 1931 to 1956 learning all about the Dogon lore by, I'm going to say his name wrong, I apologize, Ogatemeli. Ogatemeli was a blind man. It's a good note to keep in mind. So there's this blind man, right? So there's this blind man, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly, I'm sure, how Marcel came back and told everyone the stories. Hey, there's this blind man, right? So (laughs) even Ogatameli's knowledge was kept a secret from other elders in the tribe. So he had like the deets, the deets, the deets, the deep deets. This tribe is sounding a little bit culty to me so far. Well, I think it's just a way for them to preserve their culture. Mm. I think when you overexpose yourself and everyone knows the stories, it spreads throughout the nation and it gets intertwined. Misinterpreted, misunderstood. Possibly this is a way for them to keep it so tight knit and true lack of a better word it's funny that you're saying this because like i'm literally about to say all of these exact same things when i talk about the fucking cult i'm talking awesome. about there's like it's like hardcore scientology levels kind of shit no. well this really isn't i don't get that vibe from them i just feel like they're they're so deep in their culture that they don't want to share it with outsiders no no i get you i get you but marcel had been there for so long right between 1931 to 1956 that he was able to earn their trust In fact, when Marcel died, they held a ceremony for him the Dogon way. And there were thousands of them that traveled to come and honor him after he passed. 
So he really was able to submerge himself into their way of life and gain their trust. And then were able to gain all the secrets and their legends and mythology. So you would say that they kind of maybe took this alien in and showed it, you know, showed it its way? Yeah, you could say that. So what came out of Marcel's findings baffle people to this day. And it also causes quite a debate, which is why I really wanted us to go over this in a little bit. He learned that the Dogon had knowledge of the Sirius star system, including several of its companions to Sirius A that are not visible to the naked eye. And remember, this is going back 3200 BC, this information. And I just want everyone to keep this in mind, too, that we also still to this day don't know whether or not there are planets around either of the stars where Sirius resides. Ogatameli drew this system in a sand drawing to represent the Sirius system. Again, remember, the man is blind. So what he drew was an elliptical orbit of Sirius B orbiting around Sirius A and also a third star that we've now dubbed Sirius C and two other planets that are orbiting Sirius C. He told Marcel that Sirius B was so small and dense and they call it the same name as one of their grains that they have in the tribe because it's incredibly small. It's supposed to be like the smallest grain of cereal in the world. What was odd about that is that we didn't even get a photo or a confirmation of Sirius B until the 1970s. And this was being told to Marcel in the 1930s before, which we mentioned before, it was only a hypothesis that Sirius A had a companion because of the dips. And they estimated that there had to be some type of gravitational pull from another object there. The Dogon also knew that Saturn has rings and that Jupiter has four main moons. How how the hell could they have known all of this? How could this be in their culture? Well, the crazy part and the ancient alien side of this is that the Dogons say that an advanced civilization, advanced visitors, came from one of the two planets that orbits Sirius C. And they called them the Nomo. The Nomo. Nomo. The Nomo. The Nomo. <laughs> I'm just going to be thinking, no. <laughs> exactly. The no- listen, listen, Linda. The Nomo were half fish-like beings. Oh, very interesting. So half, ma- half man, half fish. Suggesting that maybe the planet that they lived on was more of a water world and not necessarily rocky? Correct. And I believe this is where we get all of our current day alien lore about the ETs from Sirius being more aquatic creatures. More reptilian looking. Not reptilian, aquatic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dolphins, mm-hmm. whales. Mm-hmm. So like one of the ways for you to connect with Sirius, if that's like your your starseed lineage, would be to like go swim with dolphins. Obviously not in like SeaWorld or some shit. Like dive somewhere random and then dolphins happen to pop up and you're like, hey, what are you doing here? Because you know you don't want to like get into their habitat you know what i'm saying or you don't you don't want to like ruin the natural way of the world you don't want to ruin their vibes exactly you don't want to be a buzzkill i get you but i think this is where this kind of knowledge comes from is is knowing that there must be some type of aquatic world out there so these beings that are half man, half fish, they come down and they teach the Nomo many things. They give them all kinds of astronomical knowledge and mathematics. And the story of when the Nomo arrived is the most fascinating to me and oddly familiar. You'll have to tell me what you think about this after I tell you the story. 
This is the spoken word. According to the Dogon. According... <laughs> Why did I say that with an accent? This is the oral legend of when the Nomu arrived. A new star appears in the sky. They refer to the star as the tenth moon. The star gets brighter and brighter, closer and closer, and then it stops. It stays stationary for a few moments, like it's suspended in time. Then it starts to descend down. It turns from red to white. There was fire coming out from the bottom of it, and as it lands... Tons of dust start to rise up from all around it. When it settles, the fire stops. No more flames. And these visitors, the Nomo, exit the Ark. Now they call it the Ark because that's what the French anthropologists found best translates to their meaning of whatever this object is. It translates best to us through Ark. Okay, so we got layers on layers here. I'm going to start off by saying this sounds like a UFO landing. I think that's pretty obvious, like UFO. Real fucking obvious. And I want to make an interesting point about the arc comment. And this goes back, I think the best example I can give you is when we're talking about the Egyptian pyramids and things and the the things that they recorded that happened to them, where you see these pictures and, and they use these words and stuff. They say things like a, a chariot with fire, you know, rain through the sky, but... To them, those those were the only words that they knew to describe it. And so don't necessarily take an ark as being a boat that Noah <laughs> put animals on and survived a flood, but more as an ark being a vessel of travel. Absolutely. And also, like I said, this is the verbal translation because the Dogon, their language isn't like letters and writing. They're symbols. There's thousands and thousands of symbols. And some symbols can even mean more than one thing. And so it's kind of what is next to it. And it's a, it's an incredible secret the way that they are able to depict anything that's happening, like any of the symbols. But this is just being translated into our language from symbols. This is overall what their symbolism is saying. Obviously, I mean, the second there was a bright star, the second it got closer and closer and then it was stopped and it was stationary, that's a typical UFO. With it, you know, slowly descending down and the fact that when it lands is when the fire stops and the dust rises up in the air, that is... I mean, a typical, I'm going to say old-fashioned UFO story because now I feel like there aren't too many stories of silver disc-like ships that land and there's fire blowing out, maybe in like the 70s and stuff like that. But that to me, I feel like we've heard over and over again that type of landing. Well, I think what it is is that more more recent UFO cases talk about these UFOs um, not having a propulsion system, you know, maybe using some sort of anti-gravity mm-hmm. or something like that. Now, this would go twofold, I think, for me. One, we have that that language barrier again, where maybe people just, the way it's translated down is fire was coming out of it. But what if it was like plasma coming out of it? You know what I mean? Like, what if the only way they could describe it was fire? Or is it that over the hundreds and thousands of years that our Earth has been being visited, who's not to say that eventually aliens got an upgrade? Maybe they started off as having something much more similar to what we have now. Absolutely. I think that's an incredibly logical way to take it. That's how I always take it, at least. What's interesting is a lot of their sand drawings and artwork depict this moment of the landing. And it looks like a circular object, I guess. It's like a big circle. And then there's all these swirls that go around it and it's supposed to signify all of the dust that rose up from its landing. 
but there are many, many drawings of this moment. To me, I'm like, this is an ancient drawing of a UFO landing. It goes back so far in time. It's like, is, is this the very first recorded, the very first documented UFO sighting? I mean, it's starting to definitely sound that way. The Nomu were, were supposed to be the first creation of Ama, which is their god. And Ama is also Amen, who is the same as the Egyptian god. And I'm thinking, like, every time we do a prayer, we're like, Amen. It's just interesting, those things. Especially since in, in, in Egypt, Isis is supposed to represent Sirius. So there's just a lot of crossovers. And again, if they are the descendants of ancient Egypt, then there, of course, is going to be a lot of crossovers and things that carry over into more of their closer culture. And we're going to get into the Egyptian side of all of this uh, in the next episode because that's a whole other rabbit hole that we can go down. Don't think that we're just brushing over it and like not talking about the Egypt side. We'll get there, guys. One other thing that I found that was very similar was the story, one of the stories from Amma's creation. There is a moment where Amma, where what they draw is an egg and it's known as Amma's egg or Amma's egg of the world. And basically everything is in this egg, everything you need basically for life, you know, like earth, air, fire, water, it's, it's all the elements, but it's suspended in nothingness. There's just nothing. And something happens which causes a disruption, an explosion where that egg cracks open and everything, its fragments and particles explode out into this nothing, and then we have life, which stretches across the cosmos, which creates the cosmos. What does that sound like? It's the fucking Big Bang. Honestly, if you want my honest opinion, like I was going to say Big Bang, but like sounds like birth to me is what it sounds like. Oh, yes. But the fact that it's like this... Nothing and then something. something out of nothing, yeah. And then it explodes and all of its particles rapidly expel out and then all these things form from that the universe forms from that all of that to me just sounded a lot like the big bang i i can see i can see i can see that <laughs> i didn't know where you were going with it i was like immediately i wanted to say big bang but then i was like i feel like she wouldn't be asking me if that was that obvious i was gonna be like that's why i was like uh. the big song the big bang like bang that bang ba bang 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 let me hear the theory oh oh give me the bang theory oh not the bang gang. The bang gang. <laughs> I, that's actually a random fact that I knew, and I have no idea why they do that. <laughs> the Dogon tribe do celebrate the orbit of Sirius B, its full orbit. Oddly, though, they do celebrate it every 60 years. Oh, let's fucking go. Well, the next one is in 2027, so I hope we can make it. But that detail of them celebrating every 60 years and every 50 years is one of the starting points for the dispute on this whole situation. So the biggest author that came out with this after the anthropologist went and studied and they brought this back and it kind of just nothing happened. It was just in the dark. There was a author, Robert Temple, that is very well known for his book, The Serious Mystery. And he wrote this book in 1971 and it did really well. Most of the information that I told you, if not more, because he really dives deep into every little thing. And then it was a little bit later when Sirius B was actually confirmed. And because he wrote this in the book, there was a lot of hype. 
And so they're like, write another book, write another book, but with more information. So then he released a second version, the second publication in 1976. But oddly, then he started to get a lot of negative feedback when before he had a lot of praise for it. Weird things started happening to him. Like he had close friends and colleagues of him telling him that people from the CIA were questioning them about Robert, trying to get information on him. He had a close friend phone him up like, hey, the CIA for some reason is watching you and is asking you about these things. Hey, Carl. (laughs) Hey, exactly. Fucking Carl. Fuck you. Sounds like some Carl shit to me. Yeah, definitely. And then he just started getting a a lot of, he started getting a lot of shit for this book for some odd reason after it did. I mean, he was a world time bestseller for this book. And one of the most famous skeptics was Carl Sagan. Now, I personally don't really love Carl Sagan. I know you don't. Uh, You know what? I'm gonna give you this. I'm also not the biggest fan of him. I don't dislike him by any means, but I'm just like not super into him by any means. He's not, it's not my my generation it's not what i grew up with that's why i'm a neil degrasse tyson fan you know what i'm saying that's why that's my that that is my space daddy so i i mean i respect space grandfather but i'm not in the <laughs> space grandfather i can't believe we agreed on something what the fuck did we agree on bruh that we don't like carl sagan oh you don't have so uh one of the biggest issues one the fact that they are celebrating 10 years off So Carl Sagan and then after this, many others started this uh, argument of who's to say that Marcel and Damien were the first anthropologists to visit and gain the knowledge of this town. Who's to say that there weren't other infiltrators of this tribe that gave them this information, told them this as a creation story, and then they started to believe that. Or that Marcel and Damien sort of fabricated everything and then told them all of this. That wouldn't make sense, though, because how could they personally predict that there was a serious B or a serious C or anything like that? How would they know? Obviously, it's possible for other people to come down and tell them about Sirius. But again, if we're talking time frame... How would they know? Who's going to know? They're going to know. Who's going to know? How would they know? Only TikTok people are going to understand that. And I love it. Please leave it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So I just, uh, I I feel like when we're talking time frames and stuff, that just doesn't really add up to me. And also the words that the Dogon used to describe all of this and the symbolism were ancient Egyptian words where the the language itself ceased to exist. Like no one was talking that way in 750 BC. It was just the Dogon tribe. So how could these other anthropologists have that type of language in order to describe that to them? And then I also just don't really believe that we're talking about an ancient culture had absolutely no belief and no traditions until the white man came and told them about it. Every single culture has their own creation story, their myths and legends and and lore and what they believe and traditions. We're supposed to believe that what they had none. And then someone told them and they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, we'll keep that. So, you know, what's interesting about all this? And I'm going to make a reference to our last episode when I said brown people, earth, white people, space. (laughs) It's funny. That you have these aliens that are coming down to our our native people on Earth, you know, the, the, the beginnings of times of these tribes coming down and bestowing upon this knowledge. And then you have hundreds and thousands of years later, you have white people coming and invading and like literally doing the exact opposite. 
like taking away that knowledge and being like, no, 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 you're going to believe in Jesus now. Yes. And I feel like there's always going to be someone that has a, well, how do we know that it wasn't this? Especially when it comes to things that have to do with aliens, there's no way that everyone would just accept that and just be like, oh yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's always going to be someone, especially someone like from Carl Sagan's perspective, who's always looking at things extremely scientific and may not really consider the fact that an ancient civilization came and taught them these things. And another really strange thing is that, you know, the, the Dogon drew where Sirius was in its relation to Orion, how to find it next to Orion. And they spoke about the spiraling birthplace of the stars in the Orion Nebula, and which is now called Barnard's Loop. And the Dogon referred to it as the Chariot of Orion. Because now, with telescopes, and only through time-lapse photography can we catch this, we can see the spiral that goes over the belt stars, and it looks like Orion would be standing in the chariot. So how did they know that type of information also if we didn't now if we didn't until now get that type of photo of, of the spiral going around? How did they know that? How did they know? I was immediately going to do that. And I was like, no, we don't need to do it again. I can't stop. Can't stop. The Dogon also had. Well, I should say the Dogon also said that there were six total planets in our region of space that are inhabited which were really interesting. They talk about the people with wings or the people with horns. When I think of wings, though, they do have sculptures of these where you guys can see and it's really incredible artwork. But I wonder, again, if they're just interpreting it with wings and wings could just be flight, their ability to fly. It's weird that we talk about just the name Dogon itself. There's an ancient Japan in the Jamun period, about 14,000 to 400 BC, are these clay figures known as the Dogu. And they are these small humanoid little creatures that look like little ETs. And I'm sure everyone has seen pictures of these because they always pop up on Ancient Aliens episodes. Or even if you're going to look at anything Ancient Alien, I feel like those little guys pop up because they look like little ETs. And I know that Eric Von Daniken has also put this in his Chariots of the Gods books because it looks like they're wearing helmets. And then again with this with this Dogu, there's the Dagon or the Dagon, which is known as being a god in ancient Mesopotamia. In the very beginning civilization of Babylon, fertility god is what it's known as, is also a half fish, half man god. The exact same depiction as the Dogu tribe worships. So we have the Dogu, Dogon, Dagon over and over again, just different variations of this word in different cultures. It sounds like to me what we have on our hands is another case of an ancient civilization having contact with aliens. Hardcore, I feel like. I really, truly believe this story. I'm going to have to fact it hardcore. I would love to go and hear the stories for them itself, but they're just so secluded. I just, it baffles me that everyone wants to shit on this story with what I consider to be evidence. I don't know. You guys take it for what it is. Research on your own time. Come up with your own conclusion. But I think that it's fascinating and I think that the details are impeccable. There's so many interesting things you were saying to me while you were telling me about this that was starting to pique my interest that are already starting to intertwine with this next story that we have going on on our cosmic journey of the week. I'm really excited to hear about this because I have no idea what you're going to talk about. So we're talking cults. My favorite. 
And we are talking the Order of the Solar Temple. The Order of the Sun Catchers. Yes. It gives me a very Knights Templar vibes, and we're going to find out why here soon. The first similarity that we have across these two things is that there's not a lot of information about the Order of the Solar Temple. And from now on, I'm just going to call it the Order because that's a really long name, just like ours. And, you know. And I think we both liked that show. (laughs) The Order? Uh Uh-huh. You told me to watch it. Oh, yeah. No, we did. It was so good. Yeah, it was super good. Yeah. So in 1984, Joseph DeMambro and Luc Giraud started the Order of the Solar Temple in Switzerland. We're going back to Switzerland again. Ah, the Suisse. What they're most well known for is their mass suicide that happened across three different countries. We have Switzerland, Canada, and France. Oh my God, what is wrong with these people? I can't wait to hear. What could have possibly made these people do that? It was like 70-something people. To really understand what's going on here, you have to understand how this cult really got its footing and its founding. We're not going to go so much into the two people who started the cult because I really don't think that they're that important. But this cult was really founded on the ideas of the Knights Templar, kind of mixed in with New Age Christianity, sprinkled with a small amount of Aleister Crowley and like a very healthy dose of Order of the Golden Dawn, if you know anything about that. The biggest parallel that it has to though is fucking Scientology. Oh shit. Really? And I'm talking almost play by fucking play, Brie. Let me, I'll give you just a little bit. Wait, which one is first then? This one must have been first before Scientology. They're the exact same time. They're within like, I think Scientology was founded slightly before theirs was founded, but like this was literally happening at the same time. So they had no, they didn't have any idea of each other. There was no connection to the two of these things. Like one was in Switzerland and they, they spoke French. Do they speak French in Switzerland? Because I know that they speak German. But specifically, this group of people spoke French there. And they do speak French in Switzerland. Oh, okay. Sound like spies. So the first thing that they have a really big parallel with with Scientology is that although Scientology came to this conclusion later, what they really focused on was that they wanted their members to be very important members of society. So they weren't just having like everyday recruitment social gatherings. They were purposely targeting not necessarily famous in the way that you would think like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, but famous as in like a famous Swiss watchmaker, a famous Swiss chocolatier, all these people who were the higher echelons of society that kind of all got swirled in together with this. We're in this time in the 1980s where people are having that that hunger for wanting spirituality and something more and, and to be a part of something, but not maybe necessarily in the traditional ways of what's offered to the rest of the world. And what was really nice about the order was that it was incredibly secretive, incredibly. We're talking about they have secret rituals. Anytime they recorded them, like, like tapes of them, all the faces were blurred out. They purposely didn't have a lot of documentation. So that way people could not know what their rituals were. Most of the people who were in this cult, who were higher up and more famous, their family members didn't even know that they were a part of this cult until they literally showed up dead. Oh my God. Like that's how deep and secretive this was. And it was a cult through in and throughout. We're talking the two leaders of it getting money from all these rich people, of course, which at the end of the day is their big motivation for pulling in the rich people. But one of the things that they did to get all this, which is, again, very, very fucking Scientology, is that they had levels and that you had to level up. And every time you leveled up, it was a different class. It was more money, you more knowledge. And then you work your way all the way to the top. And once you work your way to the top, Brie, 
You want to know what document they give you? What? The Masters of Zurich, which is talking about space Jesus. Oh, my God. But, whoa, I, I would have thought you were talking about Scientology. It, literally, the parallels of Scientology are fucking crazy to me. The thing is, is that a lot of this more alien stuff didn't happen until the end of when the cult was coming to its end. It took a long time for them to bleed these people out of these money. And I think if you want my honest opinion, what happened was is they just started running out of like mysterious things to show them. Mm. So like aliens up top. You know what I mean? And it kind of perpetuates this entire spiral downward into their demise. One of the things that also was a big part of their demise was the fact that Joseph, the, the main guy who was really behind it, claimed that his children were kind of like demigods. And uh, he even said that one of his daughters got pregnant by Immaculate Conception, just like Mary did, and that one of his children, specifically his daughter, was the reincarnated version of Jesus come back to Earth. Whoa, bro. Oh, oh, but wait, but wait, Brie. This is not the only reincarnation that we're talking about. How they really hooked in these people to come and be a part of this cult is that these two leaders went around telling members that they were reincarnated versions of famous people, very famous people of the time. Like we're talking, you know, like we're talking queens of Egypt, Caesar, like big, huge political people, which sounds super fun right off the bat. Like I would love for someone to come up and tell me and be like, you're the reincarnated version of da 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 da. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so amazing. Oprah. <laughs> But what got weird is that Joseph sometimes would just be like, you know what? You're not that reincarnated person anymore. Now you're this person. <laughs> More weirdness is that he believed that the only way to properly bring in these reincarnated famous people back to Earth was that he was in charge of making these cosmic love connections. So it didn't matter if you were married or had children or whatever. He would literally walk in, be like, you and you, you get together. You need to have a baby because you're going to give birth to the reincarnated version of Justin Timberlake. Oh, my God. That sounds like so many cults, too. Oh, and they all did of it. Of course they did. Every single one of them just happily played along shit. But the thing is, is that these people who are an upper part of society, it's completely secret. No one has any idea about it. You feel so fucking elite. But it just gets better. The reason they keep kind of pulling him in is because he has mastered special effects. And things happen hmm. during his little rituals and ceremonies and chit-chats, like the Ark of the Covenant rose from behind him. Oh, he's a magician. People really got into this. They felt this special connection. Like, he literally, at one point, I think, brought out the Holy Grail. And it was this small group of people in this cult. And it's like, they feel like they are so much better than the rest of the world because they are a part of this group. And I think that that's what's really kept people sucked inside of it. You make them feel special? while keeping them isolated. Exactly. So how the downfall really starts is some crazy shit, but realistically back in the early 90s is when Demambro decides to really go alien. And he, he talks about kind of like invoking the possibility of like a flying saucer coming down to take members to another world. And like he starts having these transit talks where he has these very vague conversations where he doesn't necessarily say what transiting means. When someone would be like, well, what does it mean to transit? He would be like, oh, that just means that, you know, we shift consciousness and we wouldn't be aware of it. Hmm. At this point, the entire cult starts receiving messages from aliens, from Sirius, telling them to get ready to leave, pack your things, tell your family goodbye. I'm putting you on a moment's notice. And at any moment, we all, we all need to jump ship. 
Wow. Aliens from Sirius telling them to do all this. So you have this buildup now of him working in this alien stuff going. And like I said, I think realistically what happened is that so many people got higher, higher up in the levels that he had to play into this kind of alien side of thing. This is only my opinion. This is just what I feel. Who knows? We we don't know because they're all dead. (laughs) Rip. The downward spiral really starts to start here. And this this is where it gets a little bit brutal. And I'm going to apologize to you, Brie. It's a little sad. So remember how I told you about how he had this goddamn daughter named Emmanuel who was supposed to be Jesus? Mm-hmm. So there's this couple in the in the uh, the cult, uh, someone who had a baby together that he did not cosmically align with each other. Might I tell you? So he's already very pissed and jealous of them. They have a little boy, and you want to know what they name him? Emmanuel. What? I don't get it. Why is that sad? No. Oh, the reason being is because they said that there could only be one Jesus coming back to earth. So that if his daughter was that Emmanuel, then their daughter had to have been, or their son that was born Emmanuel had to have been the Antichrist. Oh, shit. <laughs> because the Antichrist was born on earth, end of the world apocalypse starting now. Literally because someone stole their baby name. Oh, my God. Before they all unalived themselves they mailed out um some manifestos to local governments and they said i'm gonna read a very short clip we servants of the rosy cross forcefully reaffirm that we are not of this world and we know perfectly well the coordinates of our origins and our future just a small little clip they're getting real fucking spacey with it and then they're like and then we're gonna die we're going to the coordinates. Okay. So what happens is, is that the cult leaders invite the, the couple over with their, their brand new baby who's only a few months old. And uh, they sacrifice that baby. Oh, my God. They stab that baby with a wooden stake six times. No. Yeah. No way. Like a vampire? Like oh the Antichrist. Exactly. Yeah. And then brutally murder both parents. The entire cult at this point that was there, that was at this specific location, had a mock Last Supper where the two cult leaders posed as Jesus and were like, read their last rites, you know, had a good old time, drink a little wine. They played out that entire scenario. They then went into their ritual rooms and proceeded to have a ritual which was recorded. This was part of the packet that was mailed out to the uh, media centers. And they proceeded to have a ritual and then all kill themselves. You don't see the killing themselves part. The way that they died is a little bit aggressive. The majority of the inner circle died by intaking poison. Pretty pretty typical when it comes to cult. But the rest of them who were not in the inner circle were all shot in the head, individually, one by one. <sighs> Plastic bags tied around their heads. Oh my God. And then they died. But then, just for good measure, the entire place blew up in flames. Holy shit, this is a murder scene. Oh, yeah. Just that specific location, I believe, was in Switzerland. It also happened in Canada. And then a month later, another group did it in France. All a part of the same cult. Holy crap. Did they believe that they were going back to Sirius? I'm going to read a part of like their their theology uh, so maybe that you can get a little bit of understanding. Again, we don't have too much information and this episode is about Sirius. Unfortunately, I don't think these people are really serious about like their serious, like their serious seriousness. <laughs> But this is what they say. The reason for the alleged suicide was that the cult members believed that their souls would return home to the serious system. And documents posted by the cult leaders right before they died said, quote, the Great White Lodge of Sirius has decreed the recall of the last authentic bearers of ancestral wisdom. So basically stating that the world's going to end. We know about Sirius. So we're hopping on there. 
The idea of transiting to another star is very interesting to me. This happened before Heaven's Gate. So that idea of transiting wasn't necessarily something that was always in the media. So we kind of had this first instance of it. The one thing I will say is the one cult that beat this cult is Waco. And it's actually funny because these cult leaders of the order, there's actually a recording of them being, them literally saying Waco beat them to it. Wow. That they should have done it six months before Waco. This is awful. That's how they had been planning this for a long time. This is not something that was, oh, okay, it's going to happen now. Like they were obviously attempting to have the cult go this way. So they specifically chose to kill themselves on this exact day because it had to do with their transit. It's very uh, similar to the idea of Heaven's Gate having to jump on the back of Haley's Comet. But their specific thing that they were doing is some weird made-up shit that doesn't make any sense to me. And that some weird mystic elder brothers of the Rosie Cross were traveling to Venus. And so they had to kill themselves at that specific time to ride on the backs of the elder brothers of the Rosie Cross. And then once they get to Venus, they could slingshot to Sirius. <laughs> That's quite a fucking route. And and that was a big part of their entire ritual that they had. And this tape that they have where it's literally the entire ritual is them of like, this is who we are. We are not going to kill ourselves. Ritual, ritual, ritual. Okay, bye. Wow. I just can't believe. Oh, that's... Uh- They just sound gross and stupid. They are 100% gross and stupid. Um, I do not believe in their bullshit. I think that at the end of the day, we had some people who really wanted power and Mm -hmm. that they took this idea of people wanting spirituality and more and looking up to the cosmos and twisted it and turned it into a way to make it something negative that was an actual horrible disaster that is not talked about. We don't talk about this. There's a reason Brie doesn't know too much about it. A lot of people don't know about this event that happened. It happened in this weird sandwich between Waco and Heaven's Gate. It happened in another country. Most of the articles are about it are in French. They're not even in English. So it's just interesting kind of um, amalgamation of what our societies really sink their teeth into. Whereas I think if this cult would have happened in America, it would have been a lot bigger than not necessarily bigger as in like more people would be a part of it, but the story would be more well known about the mass suicide in through America's eyes. I absolutely agree. And it was gruesome. Gruesome. It's too bad that they were fascinated with Sirius and took it into a negative turn where all the other people are like, hail Sirius, thank you for the knowledge. And they're like, hail Sirius, we're going to kill ourselves now. We need some positivity. We really do. We really fucking do. You want a quote of the day? Hit me with the quote of the day. I think that this is a really important lesson that we need to learn. And it ties back to some of the things that you said in the beginning of this episode about um, we all have our own experiences. We all experience things in our own way. Everyone interprets everything in terms of his own experience. If you say anything which does not touch a precisely similar spot in another man's brain, He either misunderstands you or doesn't understand you at all. Aleister Crowley. That is so true, though. You have to have a little bit to find a common ground with someone and they're like, okay, I get you. Or they're just like, you're crazy. Like, what? And I know that quote doesn't have anything to do with aliens, but it really took me to the topic that we've been talking about in the past few episodes about these experiences that people have. And you you can't tell your experience to someone else. People can't see things through your eyes unless they've experienced it. We all experience these things in these different ways. And unless you have that very small, exact little nugget in there... It's hard to connect with people about this kind of stuff. It definitely is. But I'm glad that I have you and I'm glad that we have all of our listeners that I think that connects with everything that we love. You want to know what I really love? Me. Well, of course you. You're literally my soulmate. But um, (laughs) no, uh, it would be telling Mountain View, California to go fuck itself in its asshole. 
brings me so much joy. And she's serious about it. I'm serious about serious. Well, thank you guys so much for sticking with us for this episode. We have so much more to talk about serious. So we will see you guys next week with more serious information. We're going to drop the knowledge again. We're going to drop the knowledge. Drop the knowledge bomb. <laughs> Wicka, 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 wicka. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end that. <laughs>